right, friends, welcome back to Journey of the Soul. This is lesson number six. Um, as always, I'd like to graciously and, and uh, warmly thank our core sponsors, Dr. Joy Maxey, in loving memory of her father, Elaine Alexander, in loving memory of her husband, and Eve Bogan, in loving memory of her mother. Thank you for this core sponsorship, and uh, the, may the merit of all the Torah study indeed rise up to, uh, to where it needs to go and bring good merit for the neshamas, for the souls of your loved ones. Thank you. So tonight is our final step of the journey. No, it doesn't mean that there's nothing else to talk about, but it means that as we kind of explore the journey of the soul, we are going to hopefully come to some sort of um, conclusion, some sort of uh, understanding and finality of our understanding. So along those lines, I'll tell you a story. There was a 60-year-old man who goes to the doctor one day, and the doctor is just admiring this fellow's health. He's 60 years old, but he's in perfect health. And he, the doctor says to him, he says, you have the body of a 35-year-old. Tell me, when did your father die? And the man says, who says my father's dead? He's 82. He's still active. He skis three times a year. He surfs three times a week. He said, the doctor is amazed. He says, all right, well, it's incredible. Tell me, when did your grandfather pass away? He says, who says my grandfather's dead? My grandfather's 106, still active. He skis once a year. He surfs once a week. And he's even getting married next week. The doctor says, why would he get married at 106? And the man says to him, who says he wants to get married? His parents are forcing him to. There we go. That was, per that was good timing, Jerry. Thank you. All right. So this is, this is our, uh, our sixth course. We have a sixth session of the course. We have explored so much about the journey of the soul thus far. We talked about the journey of the soul insight into the body. We talked about the journey of the soul as it departs the body. It's journey through the cleansing process called Gehinnom on its way to Gan Eden, to paradise. And even last week we spoke about the journey of the soul through what we call uh, reincarnation. And of course, there's a specific Jewish understanding, but nonetheless, we spoke about the idea of reincarnation. And here we are. It might seem like we are, um, we are toward the end of our journey. And it might seem that we are toward the end of, of our conversation. But as we'll see tonight, there is so much more still to talk about. See, one thing that we've taken for granted throughout this series was the no is the notion of mortality. The idea that one day, like everyone else, like everything else, we will experience the separation of body and soul when the soul will return on high and the body will return to the earth. That's been the given, that's been the premise of our conversations, the idea that death is indeed inevitable. But... Tonight, I want to ask the following question. What if that premise wasn't so absolute? What if the entire notion of mortality was not as set in stone as we might otherwise believe? What if you and I could shake mortality and experience eternal life? It's a pretty wild idea, right? 
And yet, as we see, as we will see today, as we will see today, it may be wild, but it's what Judaism believes about the real end game. When we talk about the journey of the soul, the real end game is a state in which mortality is not necessarily a given. Eternal life is not simply the pipe dream of science fiction, but it's rather the destiny of all of us in the Jewish tradition. But before we get into a conversation about immortality, we'll need to take a closer look at mortality. We'll need to take a closer look at what mortality is and what it means. And to do that, we'll need to ask some very important questions like, are there benefits to mortality? Is the knowledge that life on earth will end or inevitably ends, does that knowledge somehow prove to be a positive experience for us? And if for some reason mortality is indeed a blessing, then what of the Jewish dream of immortality that I just mentioned a moment ago? So in short, to kind of summarize this opening piece, today we are going to talk about two major ideas. Number one, the gift of mortality. And number two, the Jewish promise of immortality. These are the two themes we are going to cover tonight. The gift of mortality and the promise of immortality. There are so many incredible things to talk about, to get to. Let us, let us begin. So I'm going to begin, we're going to start our conversation about mortality by first exploring how we feel about aging, how we feel about getting older. So I'm going to open up the question to the floor to all of you and ask you the question, how do you feel about aging? It's an open-ended question and, uh, sorry? I'm grateful. Grateful for aging. Okay? Yeah. Okay, good. You're saying it beats the alternative, right? (laughs) Okay. And it's the best thing now. I didn't lose my job because I haven't had one for a while. (laughs) Medicare goes into the bank. We, We get Social Security. You're, all right, there you go. So it's 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 got its benefits. Okay, good, 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 good. I get to. Yeah, Ray, I go ahead. Get to, I get to meet my great grandchildren, in addition to my grandchildren, and to share life with them. Beautiful. And it's beautiful. So I'm very happy to be here. Grateful for aging. Good, good, good. What else? When you think about aging, how does it make you feel? What do you think about? How do you feel about aging? Jump in. Oh, sorry? Awful. I have increased abilities, increased knowledge. I want to apply it. And I know that my future is that I increasingly can't. Got it. Got it. So an apprehension about, uh, about, about not being able to apply everything that you've gained and learned. Okay. Thanks for sharing. What else? How do you feel about aging? Jump There's in. a lot of loss. A lot of loss. Okay. If you're healthy, it's wonderful. If you're not, it's uh, not such a nice journey. It's, it's challenging, okay? Eve? It's re- I can't figure out how it happened. I can't figure out where <laughs> all the time went. Um, and I, I actually don't feel any different, but I do allow myself to rest. So that's one thing. Um, 
I get concerned about what the next decade or two might be like from a physical perspective, but you know, it's where I am. Right. Okay. Mom. It's good for young people. It's good <laughs> for young people. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> where Ari gets a sense of humor. Yeah, I was going to say, you guys see where I get the sense of humor from. Yeah, okay, good. All right, what else? What else? How do you feel about aging? Jump in. Aging. Some days I feel like uh, 18, and then I work out, and the next day I pay <laughs> big time. You know? So, uh, mentally, sometimes I'm still young, but it just doesn't happen anymore. Got it. Richard, I want you to know you don't look a day over 17. I'm just saying. Okay, fine. Maybe maybe, maybe 18. All right. Well, um, Did you say 17 or 70? No, 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 no. I didn't say 70. <laughs> no. <Okay. laughs> no, no, no. Judith, Shud go ahead. Oh. The lack of independence and the parents become the children and the children become the parents. Thanks for sharing. Lack of independence and, and the caretaker roles sometimes or, or often reverse. Judith, go ahead. Yes, yeah, so I was just going to say, you know that phrase where youth is wasted on the young? Right. I feel like that becomes more relevant um, as I get older because I feel like I'm getting wiser, I'm more confident, more assured about everything, but just I have way too many things to do to do as a parent to be able right. to indulge in those things. And so I see my children doing it and I think there's something to the Benjamin Button uh, concept. Right, right, interesting. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Mindy, go ahead. I'm, I'm thinking, when I think of aging, I think of my, my mom who's a, a widow and she's living in another state and she lives by herself. And I wonder, like she's, she's in her seventies and she's with it and she's, doing great now but I wonder like what is in her future as as far as my responsibilities obligation as a child for an aging parent who right. is living in a different state do I go to her just do I bring her to me do I what can I do as her child it's we're not there yet but as she's getting older that's what I'm thinking about with aging and also um that I'm I'm one of I have young children and I'm I'm one of the older parents <laughs> of young children. Um, I had my children late, late in life, in my late 30s and early 40s. So I, I see the other parents that are my parents of my children's age, and I'm like one of the oldest of them. So I definitely can, I definitely feel my age when compared to other moms of, of um, children the same ages as my children. It's, it's rough when you're faced with, <laughs> with uh, comparing, comparing yourself to um, other other parents of children thanks. with similar ages. All right, thank, you thanks, don't thanks for sharing. Because you look like you're in your 20s. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, but I'm almost 50. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Remember 50. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks for sharing. Okay, let's, let's, uh, any, any other ideas, comments about aging? Adina Malka, go ahead. Oh, um, I feel sad and a little scared to be in the final inning. And accepting... We got extra innings for you. We're going into, into action. <laughs> overtime? You're going overtime? Yes. Um, yeah, I, um, the, you know, the acceptance of what's done is done and cannot be undone. 
Right. And um, I don't know, wanting to go out with uh, just the best I can. Thanks for sharing that. So I want to I want to make a oh Steve go ahead. You know I I find age uh, amazing. I uh, I walk into a room full of friends and I look around and I'm amazed at how old they are. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Good. 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 All right. I I want to thank all of you for sharing. I think every every one of your comments. Touched, uh, touched me deeply, and I appreciate you sharing and being open about your thoughts. It's a, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a real subject. It's a real topic. I want to speak with one specific angle in mind for right now, and that is that with the benefits of aging that were discussed, that were mentioned, the challenges of aging that were mentioned, right? The the joys and the the concerns. All the the, the I think we had a, a big spectrum of of thoughts on aging. There's one thing that is, that is definite, and that is that one of the largest industries in the world today is what's known as the anti-aging industry. Now, what's the anti-aging industry? <laughs> what do I mean by that? So it's anything from makeups to creams to lotions to Botox to cosmetic surgeries, anything and everything in that, in that genre that pertains to in essence, looking youthful and maybe looking, right, looking youthful, anti-aging industry. In fact, I've seen different estimates about how lucrative this industry is and how, how popular it is. I've seen estimates anywhere between 100, even upwards of, of $200 billion a year um, around the world. There's a lot of, a lot of activity in the anti-aging industry. Which tells me the following, that even as we might embrace aging, at the same time, there's part of us that's trying to look younger even as we get older. Which, it's not a bad thing, it, it just is a thing that I want to point out. But what I want to ask is as follows. Why do you think that people are so often not so excited to embrace the, the looking old aspect of aging. Why is youth so glamorized? Why is, it, why is that the case? Why is youth so glamorized? And we can come up with different theories and different, different ideas, but I want to share with you a completely radical perspective on aging and the appearances of youth. I want to share with you a completely different perspective from Judaism. But first, it looks like Riva, our resident youngster, would like to say hi. Riva, say hi. Hi. There you go. All right. How old are you? Five. You're five. Okay, that's, that's pretty young. Although, you're getting very big, right? When you're young, you want to be older. When you're older, you want to sound... Anyway, it's complicated. Life is complicated. Love you. You want to sit here for a minute? Okay, so let's, let me share with you a radical perspective on aging from Abraham, the father of Judaism and monotheism. Listen to this. The Talmud says, this is tracted above a Metziah 87a, if you want to look it up, if you want to fact check me, I just gave you the, the source. So the Talmud says 
that until Abraham's times, no one aged. They got older, but they didn't look older. Right? So even as they aged, they looked the same. Imagine you're 80 years old and you look like you're 20. That's the way the world was. Right? I guess you got I guess you didn't look like you were newborn, but like at a certain point in adulthood, you just it just stayed like that. So the Talmud says that Abraham turns to God, and Abraham says to God, I don't like this. I don't like this. Please allow me, allow us human beings to look older as we get older, that the physical biology should change as we age. So God says, your request has been granted. The Talmud says, hence the verse, Genesis chapter 14, I believe, verse number one, Abraham became a Zakin. Abraham, oh, Ellie, Abraham became old, Abraham got old, one second, and he came into his days. And that means, the Talmud says, that God fulfilled his request to look older. That's what the Talmud says. So now that I've shared with you the Talmud, I need to ask you the obvious question. What was Abraham thinking? Why did he mess it up for all of us? What was he thinking? Oh no, there was such a, no, there was such a good thing going on. We had such a good thing going on. No one got, no one looked older, even as they got older. What could go wrong? What was possibly the problem with this? Why does Abraham sabotage this whole deal? Now, maybe you're going to tell me that Abraham started Neutrogena. Now, that's possible, right? So maybe it was a whole scheme. To, that was, that's my best attempt at the first brand that came to mind. Apologies for my amateur um, attempts over here at, uh, at branding. Nonetheless, the point is that maybe we could say, well, Abraham had a, had a business model in mind. No, what was Abraham really thinking? What was the, what's the agenda? What was his thought behind him requesting to look older? Which, that's the question. The, the question itself forces us to conclude the following, that in truth, Abraham knew something that sometimes we forget, and that is that there's a blessing in recognizing our age. There's a blessing in looking older and therefore feeling older. There's a blessing in that. Let's discover why that is a blessing. One of the reasons why, one of the reasons why we try to avoid um, the signs of aging, like I mentioned before, the... um, the anti-aging industry is, is quite lucrative. One of the reasons why we, 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 we try to avoid looking older, it's not just because that's what's glamorized in the media, Hollywood, whatever, but it's also because um, looking older, right, aging, reminds us of our mortality, right? When we look at ourselves in the mirror, and we see ourselves looking older and getting older, it can. Again, this is, there's nothing, nothing is absolute and everyone is different, as we heard from the variety of perspectives before, which I truly and deep, I want to say again, I really appreciate and, and, and just blown away by the different perspectives. So no hard and fast rule, but in general, we might say that for many people, the concept of aging 
you know, in a sense, looking older has the, has the effect of perhaps frightening us a little bit. Ay, that wrinkle. Gaval, that means I'm getting older, the clock's ticking. The skin sagging, ay, the next step, who knows what, right? So, like, we see things, and, the ne- and it reminds us of, of the clock that's ticking. So, instead of thinking about our, our mortality, we are inclined sometimes to instead... Uh, try to mask it and avoid it. And that's the strategy that we use with, uh, with anti-aging techniques. I'm making it sound more uh, dramatic than it is, but you know, we do things to make ourselves look youthful so that we feel youthful so that we're not staring at mortality, literally or figuratively, um, you know, in, in the face. But by now... Rabbi? Yeah, Ray, go ahead. It's interesting that Abraham wanted to... Uh, look older, yet he wanted to be a father, and he became a father at the age of 100. Right, right. That's sort of contradictory. It says, so the the Talmud says that he wanted to look older after Isaac was born. So after Isaac was born, that's when he made the request. And, And without getting into the details, but you're pointing out something good, he did have a child, he was blessed with it, he wanted a child, was blessed with a child in his older age, um, and he, at some point, he wanted to look older. Maybe he didn't want the competition from his kid. He's like, I'm, we should look the same. What? We should, we should look a little bit. But again, I, I want to go a little bit deeper here with this concept that it's, it's not just, a, it's not just uh, an appearance thing or a, uh, a vanity thing. It's on some level, for many, not for everybody, but for, certainly for some, and I would say for many, um, seeing ourselves age, physically look older, reminds us of our mortality, which is a sobering thought, and therefore we might be inclined to wish or to want or to take steps to mask it and to hide it so that we don't have to think about it. But by now we know, as we discussed in our very first lesson and throughout this course, by now we know that Judaism has a bit of a different perspective on both life and death. Judaism teaches that true life is the life of the soul, and the soul is eternal. Right? The soul lives on. Yes, the soul is in the body um, for some amount of time, but that's a relatively very short ride in this much, much larger, longer journey. The soul lives on eternally, and therefore, we've discussed from the very first session on, that there's really nothing to fear, nothing to avoid. We can embrace aging without being afraid or feeling the need to hide it, because, again, our identity, our true life still lives on, doesn't end when we pass away. That's a very basic understanding based on what we said in previous sessions. But I want to go tonight much deeper in this idea. You see, Abraham, Abraham didn't just throw away the face cream and cancel the Botox appointment. Abraham actively requested that God introduced signs of aging. So it wasn't simply that Abraham was not afraid to look at himself age because he knew that death was not the end of who he was. Abraham did look youthful, and yet he went out of his way specifically to request. He prayed to God with a specific prayer request that God introduce signs of aging to human beings. 
So this is not simply not running away from mortality. This is inviting the signs of mortality in front and center. And that begs the question, why? It's one thing to say that Abraham wasn't afraid of mortality. But why did he invite mortality into his mirror? What was the request about? I hope my question is making sense. Here's one perspective on this. And this is, it's teaching us a powerful lesson. Abraham wasn't just embracing his mortality. He wanted to be reminded of it and made aware of it every time he looked at himself in the mirror. And the reason is because there's something profoundly positive and beneficial about recognizing our own mortality. In fact, there are powerful blessings to be found in the experience of actively contemplating our mortality. This is something that positive psychologists have recently recognized and have been recently writing about. The idea of the, of the positive, the benefit of, of, of contemplating and, and thinking about one's own mortality. I'm going to share my screen and we're going to jump into text number one. Let me find the correct window to share on my computer. Give me a moment, please. All right, looks like I found it. Here we go. We're going to look at text number one. You can see it in your books on page 211. On the screen, it is right here with that little CBS logo. Um, Steve, Steve Horowitz, you are right up on my screen at the top. If you don't mind, please unmute and read this text from, uh, this is published in 2019. So just published uh, not that long ago. There is no exercise or reflection as potent perhaps as uh, contacting one's ending. In confronting one's own passing, we are better able and more willing to help others see the power of awareness of that which is inevitable, death, helping us to wake up to the tender colors of life and personal creation. In contemplating our own end, we recognize that there is still time for life and whatever time is left. Values are there to be lived until the last inevitable moment. To acknowledge this is freeing. And I need to tell you how in psychology, how radical this is. In the first lesson, I mentioned terror management theory, which states this is a longstanding um, uh, theory in, 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 in psychology. And that is that life itself, life is a balancing act or life is, is, is lived for many people um, in a sense, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Compensating for the fear of death. But modern, but the mo the latest psychology, the latest psychological um, uh, research, and the latest findings, and the, ra the, the the latest publications on this topic about thinking about mortality, they actually state that it's good to lean into contemplating mortality instead of thinking about mortality, fearing it, and then you know that ha that that breaking us. There's a way to think about mortality. That and have it propel us as a catalyst for positivity. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yes? I'm going to break this down further into two specific um, positive benefits from contemplating mortality, two of many, but two that I wish to share from a Jewish perspective from Torah sources. But before I get into the specifics, I, I just must make sure that everyone's kind of generally um, in the overall picture on the same page. Again, we spoke about aging. 
just kind of taking you through the arc here very quickly. We spoke about aging, different feelings about aging. I then mentioned that there's a whole industry about looking to, to look younger than we actually are. I contrasted that with Abraham, who wanted to look older, even when he could have gotten away with looking younger, right? He specifically wanted to look older. And then I asked the question, what was he thinking? And the conclusion we've come to is that there are benefits to looking older vis-a-vis -vis recognizing our own mortality. And the question is, well, why, how does that make any sense? Mortality evokes fear, so what's the deal? So now we're trying to, we're, now I'm presenting for the first time in this six-week series a new idea. And the new idea is that contemplate from, it's like a knife. It could be used to cut negatively or, or cut positively. But utilized correctly, meditating or contemplating one's own mortality can be an incredibly, incredibly beneficial, positive element in one's life. Now, could it also um, harm? Could it also cause harm? Could it also cause fear? Yes. But can it be leveraged and utilized for positive blessings and benefits? Yes. That's what I wish to talk about tonight. So, when we think about Abraham, why did Abraham ask God to look older? One way to understand this is that he wanted to be reminded about his own mortality because thinking about that is beneficial in many ways, including the two ways that I will share with you right now. They're both sourced in Jewish sources. We're going to go through them together from the text, and we'll talk about them. Benefit number one has to do with priorities and prioritizing. I'm going to share my screen once again. Let's jump into text 2a. What we're going to do here is we're going to read a verse from the book of Psalms, and then we're going to read the Talmudic analysis of this verse. So, Doreen, I have you up right here on the screen. If you don't mind, please unmute. And please read text 2A and I'll also, yeah, you got it. And 2B. Let's start with this one. Please. Be agitated and do not sin. Verbalize within your hearts, upon your beds, and be forever silent. Now, the truth is, you and I could read this a hundred times and not make any sense of it, right? You and I could read this, agitated, don't sin, verbalize in your heart, upon your beds, and be silent. Whoa, talk about a contradiction, right? Um, you're supposed to be agitated, kind of angry, but not sinning. Well, usually when we get angry, it's usually it's the negativity. Verbalize, but in your heart, and then on your bed, but then be silent. Wow, all right. Deep thoughts by King David, but what does it actually mean? What in the world is going on here? And again, we could, <laughs> we could put this on our fridge, look at it every day, and still have no idea what it's talking about. Thank God for the Talmud. Text 2B, please take it away. But before you do it, let me just explain. The Talmud says, let me go back to the previous page. Each stanza of the four lines, each stanza of these four, stanza, four lines is telling us another strategy to avoid making mistakes or bad decisions. All right, so let's go through them one at a time. Text to be the Talmud says, Doreen. We should always agitate our good inclination against our evil inclination. As it is stated, be agitated and do not sin. If this vanquishes the evil inclination, all is good. But if not, we should occupy ourselves with Torah study as it is stated. Verbalize Torah teachings until they enter within your hearts. 
If this vanquishes it, all is good. But if not, we should recite Shema as it is stated upon your beds. If this vanquishes it, all is good. But if not, we should remind ourselves of the day of death as it is stated and be forever silent. Thank you. So what the Talmud is saying is different tools and strategies for overcoming our lower desires and tendencies. So the first step is agitate our good inclination against our evil inclination. In other words, when we feel ourselves wanting something negative, we should chastise ourselves and tell her within ourselves and say, what are you thinking? That's not a good idea. Hi, so silly. So that's first approach. If that doesn't work, then we got to pull out some Torah study. Torah study helps us stay focused and, and stay in a good place. If that still doesn't work, prayer, saying the Shema, etc., upon your beds at night, in the day and at night. So prayer. If that doesn't work, we tried, you know, just uh, white knuckling. We tried Torah study. We tried prayer. If that doesn't work, then we should think about the day of death, thinking about our own mortality, which is hinted in the phrase that says, and be forever silent, referring to the body, which upon passing, of course, is still and silent. But the point is that that, this um, contemplation, reminding ourselves of the day of death, contemplating our own mortality, can have the effect of keeping us away from bad decisions. So it's very important to understand what exactly the Talmud is saying. The Talmud is saying something so profound, yet so simple at the same time. And that is that contemplating our mortality can help us avoid making bad choices. How so? Because realizing that life is so fragile, that life is so temporal, can help us focus and refocus on our priorities, on what's really important. Recognizing that we won't always have this, we won't always have this opportunity, can help us lock in and focus on what really matters, on what's really valuable. And that can help us make better decisions. Now, this Jewish approach is so different than what you will find in popular culture, a phrase that the kids know as YOLO. Raise your hand if you know what YOLO is. All right, YOLO is you only live once. That's what we call in Hebrew, Rashi Tevis, which means the first letters of each word, right? YOLO, you only live once, which typically is YOLO, let's invest in GameStop. Right? That's, okay, if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's fine also. But YOLO is usually like, YOLO, I'm going to jump out of a helicopter on a mountain with snow on skis. What could go wrong? Because YOLO. Right? If not now, then when? But Judaism, okay, YOLO is, I could keep on going because it's, you know, you ever see those wing, um, what are they called? Wingsuits? You ever see those wingsuits? Guys that jump out of like... Stop, um, I don't know, top of a mountain, you know, base jumping and with wingsuits. And then sometimes they have these videos, don't ask how I know, where they were literally wearing like these cams on their body or head and they're wingsuiting like in between this rock formation with an opening just the size of a human body turned sideways and they need to fly and then at the last second rotate and if they miss, YOLO. If they make it, YOLO. 
right? That's kind of the approach. That's very, I, I mean, I think at least as of like a year ago that was in, I'm pretty sure it's still in. So, cause things change so rapidly. Um, I'm not gonna get into TikTok, but here's the point. The point is YOLO is, if not now, when? Let's do it, let's just live it up, let's be free, let's, might as well live it up because of our mortality. Judaism has the exact opposite view because life is so fragile, because life is so precious, right? So let's focus on what's really important, what really matters. So King David writes in Psalms, a successive meditation or successive meditations in how to stay focused on what's really important, right? Try your best to, uh, to push away the negative. If that doesn't work, study Torah. If that doesn't work, pray. If that doesn't work, remind yourself that life is so precious, so fleeting. And hopefully that can encourage us to prioritize. And instead of wasting time, we can focus on what's really important. So Judaism, you know, I don't want Judaism to sound not fun, but because it's fun also. But here's the point. The point is that contemplating mortality should not lead us to, <laughs> to um, making important that which is really not important. But on the contrary, it should, it, 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 should, it can, and please God, it will lead us to recognizing what's really important. So that's one benefit. Again, what's, why did Abraham ask to, to, to look older? Our angle, our explanation tonight is so that he will be reminded of his own mortality, so that all human beings for all time will be reminded of their mortality. So why is that good? To remind us about what's important. Because thinking about our mortality can also encourage us, hopefully, to, to do what's important. Let's talk about a second benefit of mortality. And right after I conclude this one, I want to open it up to some questions and conversation. But let me just share one more piece on this. A second benefit to contemplating our mortality that's a little bit different than the first. I'm going to share my screen with you and I want to pull up the following text, which is a very interesting line. Hold on. Yeah, text number three. Okay, um, Susan Crone, please take it away. If you will, text number three. Folks fret over a lost dime and fail to fret over lost time. But money provides no reprieve while time is impossible to retrieve. I, I didn't know you were so poetic, but that's, it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> I've been a teacher for a long time. You see that? You see that? Dime, time, reprieve, retrieve. It's interesting because in the Hebrew, damav, yamav, ozrim, chosrim, it rhymes in the Hebrew. So whoever did this translation decided to, uh, to keep it rhyming, which, is, which, which I like. So what's the point of, this, of this, um, this text? It's a classic Jewish proverb, and it, talk, it compares and contrasts money and time. And it says the interesting thing is that people are all concerned about losing even a dime, but what about wasting an hour? What about wasting a day? Nah, right? But in truth, money doesn't really help, and time never comes back. So if we think about it this way, if we think about it this way, right? We ask the question, what's more important, our time or our money? And a person would say, um, well, time is money. 
right? That's the ultimate, you know, mind-bending shift. Time is money, so can we really pit the two against each other? That's a distraction to our conversation here, right? The question is, what is, what is more precious, time or money? Now, the answer is time, right? Because money you can get more of. Time, I'm talking about like the time that we have on earth. Time, but, what's, but, 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 but you don't live like this. Why don't we live like this? We don't live like this because we feel a lack. We don't feel the sense of urgency when it comes to time. Because we're not thinking about how much time or how little time we have left. Typically, certainly when we're younger, we don't think in these terms. When it comes to money, it's very easy to, to realize, hold on, I lost money, I have less. When it comes to time, I lost a day, I got plenty. How many? Unlimited. Really? I wasted an hour. Wasted an hour watching videos on YouTube of people, um, what's the word? Wing suiting between rock formations. Yeah? Speaking for a friend. Yeah, so what happens? Yeah, we wasted an hour. Wasted an hour. All right, no big deal. No big deal. Yeah, got plenty of those. Really? Damav enam ozrim. V'yamav enam chosrim. Money, at the end of the day, it is what it is. But time doesn't come back. Once it's gone, it's gone. Reminds me of a wonderful analogy I once heard. Remember when people used to buy picture postcards? Remember those? I think, I think they're still available. Today, everything's digital. But remember, you actually bought an actual postcard? Yeah. And you were vacationing somewhere or, you know, whatever, with friends or family. And the other person told you to write. Or you wanted to surprise somebody and write to them and send them a, a postcard. So you would get the postcard. You know, choose one from the little postcard stand. And you would get home and get a pen and sit down. And, all right, where to start? And you would not really know what to write. So you would choose a handwritten font size that was a bit large. And we, dear, let's just say mom. Hey, mom. Dear mom, with a nice comma, create a little line and a half spacing, a little, you know, not double space, but like enough to keep it honest in case you run out of something to say. At least it doesn't look too empty because that it would be super awkward. So, hi, how are you? Things are going great here. And then before you know it, you start thinking of things to write about and you write more and more and more and you realize very soon that you're running out of space. So suddenly the font size is shrinking and the line spacing is shrinking and it's shrinking and it's getting smaller and smaller and then you're writing on the bottom edge. But wait, you ran out of space. So you know what you do? You wrote along the side, you put a little arrow and you flipped it and then you flipped it around and you flipped it back around. You flipped it to the other side and you realize you can't write on a glossy coating on that front. So you ripped it up. No, I'm kidding, you didn't, you didn't go that far. But here's the point. Life is like a picture postcard. We live life like we have all the space and time in the world. Not a care. Plenty of time. Big fonts, right? Youth is wasted on the young, Judith, right? Like you said before, right? There's plenty of time, plenty of space. And then we realize as things pick up, smaller, and smaller and smaller. The window seems to get smaller and smaller and smaller as we recognize our own mortality. 
as we get older, become more aware of that window closing, we begin to invest more in whatever space we have and to cram in as much as we can, recognizing that that space-time, if you will, is but limited. We start off thinking we have all the space in the world. Wasted a day, wasted an hour, who cares? I have infinite number of those. And we realize at some point, we don't. And that's when we begin investing, investing the energy and prioritizing as well, like I mentioned before, but, but really I want to focus on time, really um, maximizing our time and, and utilizing every moment at, that, that we can. This is another benefit of recognizing our own mortality. Abraham said to God, please, for the benefit of humanity, allow us to look older. Allow us to have visual signs, visible signs, that we are getting closer and closer to our end, that there is this thing called mortality, that there is a finite amount of life on earth that we will live. That will help us, number one, prioritize. And number two, maximize our time. Does what I say make sense? Yes? All right. Hold on one second. Let me share with you. I'm going to, I'm going to open it up for, in a moment. But first, I want to do one more text. Um, this is such a powerful text. Um, I'm going to read this. This is from Miles Levin. A young man, a young Jewish boy, 16 years old, diagnosed. He had a rare pediatric cancer. He passed away uh, a few years later. But this is what he wrote in 2000 and... I believe he wrote it in 2005. Yeah, he passed away in 2007. He wrote this in 2005. Um, I went to the driving... He was 16 when he wrote this. I went to the driving range the other day, and I was thinking... I was thinking how you start off with a big bucket of golf balls and you just start hitting away carelessly. You have dozens of them. Each individual ball means nothing, so you just hit, hit, hit. One ball gone is practically inconsequential when subtracted from your bottomless bucket. There are no practice swings or technique reevaluations re after a bad shot because so many more tries remain. Yet eventually, you have to reach down toward the bottom of the bucket to scavenge for another shot, and you realize that tries are running out. Now with just a handful left, each swing becomes more meaningful. The right technique becomes more crucial, so between each shot, you take a couple practice swings and a few deep breaths. There's a very strong need to end on a good note, even if every preceding shot was horrible. Getting it right at the end means a lot. You know as you tee up your last ball, this is my final shot, I wanna crush this with perfection, I must make this count. Limited quantities or limited time brings a new precious value and significance to anything you do. Live every day shooting as if it's your last shot. I know I have to. I just found, I found out today five-year survival rates are just 30%. That's what he wrote. He was 16 years old. He passed away two years later, just shy of his, of his 19th birthday. Steve Jobs once remarked, for the past 33 years, I have looked in the mirror every morning and asked myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I am about to do today? This is another powerful gift that results from recognizing our own mortality 
just as Abraham wanted. So we ask the question, why would Abraham wish to look older? Why would he wish signs of mortality? And the answer is, as modern psychology is just, just discovering, Abraham said this 3,500 years ago, that recognizing our mortality can, can allow us or can motivate us to think of what's really important and to maximize our time. And these are so, these are gifts, literally, literally gifts for us. What I called at the opening of the class in kind of mapping out today's class, section one, the, gifts of, the gift of mortality. Um, I'm opening this up to questions or comments. Please jump in. Any questions or comments? Yeah, Howard. Wait, hold on. Don't forget to unmute. It feels like the benefit of aging, when you're seeing the end game, is that you have time then to think about passing along wisdom to your children and grandchildren. I'm assuming you have any wisdom, but to the extent you do, this is the time to spend time doing that. A hundred percent, yeah. I didn't mention that. I, I, I'm focusing on two, but yes, yeah, certainly that's a powerful, powerful benefit is the idea of, of, of recognizing we never know when, right, when, when, when our time is, but as we get a little bit older and as we kind of sense that we're getting older and when we feel that, thanks to Abraham, then perhaps we shift our attention away from other things and to legacy. Not, not just for us, but I don't mean legacy to, to make ourselves a name necessarily, but to, pass, to, to make sure there's a continuity of, of values. Thank you for sharing that. That's very, uh, that's very meaningful. Yes, I agree with that. Um, other ideas? I have a, a friend who's living in Israel now, but she told me, she said, it's time to make memories. And I love that line. And that's yeah. how I feel, uh, well, especially with the grandchildren, yeah. hopefully with my children. It's time to make memories. Yeah. And again, these are, these are all gifts, the way I want to um, frame it tonight, gifts of recognizing our own mortality. Again, we started off in the, this is kind of like the contrast to lesson one. In lesson one, we spoke about how recognizing mortality could evoke fear and how, but Judaism teaches that the soul lives eternally, so we, we can take a few deep breaths. But tonight, we're really going the other direction, right? We're, go, we're reversing this and saying that thinking about pondering, contemplating, maybe even staring at our own mortality can actually be a tremendous blessing in deepening helping us deepen our lives and maximize our time, sharing what we have with others and uh, discovering the gifts that we have this and that counts. we could. Sorry? This counts. This counts, right. Fingers get this counts. There you go. It's another benefit. Good, yes. It's a big one. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, any other questions, comments? Richard, yeah. I just want to, I want to share a story for maybe a minute or two at the most. Um, it's ironic. It happened this week. I, I do this uh, pretty much daily meditation on my on an app called uh, Headspace, and I'm in about 90 days of it. And it's uh, 20 minutes of really peace and being a recluse. It's, it's, it's wonderful, quiet time. So uh, this Sunday, two days ago, uh, the man said, I "I'm going to drop a question into your meditation." He drops things in the meditation to, to ponder. So I'm going to drop a question in, and it may be a little bit disturbing. And uh, this was Sunday, and he said, uh, 
do this in a reflective way, not asking yourself to in the second person. Ask, envision someone like your brother or sister. How would you feel if this was the last day of your life? And I said, I'm really angry at that question. Mm. <laughs> no, how dare you? This is my own private, peaceful, mellow time, and you're ruining it. That was Sunday. He's repeated the question the last two or three days. And he, come, and he comes on, he says, I understand yesterday may have upset you, and, blah, and he said that today. He said, but let's face it. We need, to, we need to put space in our mind and our thoughts to leave space for everything, the good, the bad, mortal, immortal. We need to face that. And as we face it, we become more at ease with it. And today's Tuesday. I'm not looking forward to death, but it's... The thought is, is much more, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to tomorrow to see what he says and how I feel with it. It's, it's, it's interesting. Nice, nice. Thank, much, more, much more at ease with it. Thank you for sharing that. And you should know that uh, the fellow who created Headspace is actually taking our Thursday JLI class. And uh, that's where he got it from. I'm joking. No, no, that was a joke. Come on, guys. Seriously? Really? That was a joke. But I will say, I will say, that it reminds me of my idea, which is still an idea that I have. So, I mean, you could take it, it's fine, it's a free country. Kabbalah space, which is spiritual, Jewish spiritual meditations, coming to an app near you at some point soon. It's one of my, uh, one of my ideas that at some point we will, <laughs> we will um, either launch or not launch or help launch some other way. All right, let's get, yeah, well, let's do maybe one more question or comment. But thank, Richard, thank you for sharing that. I understand how uh, that could throw you off and how maybe yeah. through tonight's prison, maybe it's looked at a little bit differently. All right, um, I'm looking around. Okay, so let, let's continue then our conversation. So we've talked about mortality. We've talked about the benefits. Tonight we spoke, we just spoke about the benefits of confronting our mortality with open eyes and an open perspective and a clear vision. Yet, and this is absolutely huge, Judaism believes that our future and our destiny holds the promise of immortality. Right? Notwithstanding the absolute reality of mortality as it exists right now, and notwithstanding the benefits of recognizing our mortality as we've just spoken about up until now, Judaism maintains and believes that the ultimate destiny is a space a life of immortality. As beneficial as mortality is, it's only a temporary condition. Ultimately, we will experience a different paradigm, a reality wherein body and soul live together for eternity. This is a huge idea. Let's explore it together. You see, we take death for granted. We believe that there's no way around it, that it's essentially part of life and the human condition. In other words, stated in other terms, life is a fatal, is a mortal condition, right? It's, it, as the moment we're born, there's one reality, and, uh, and that reality is, inevitability is, uh, our mortality. And that's the way it might seem until we take a bit of a closer look at the book of Genesis. I'm going to share my screen with you, and I want to move to text 9a. So we're going to do a little bit of uh, some skipping text over here. Don't worry, you're in good hands. This is from the book of Genesis, chapter 2. So it's right at the beginning of the beginning, in the beginning. And here the Torah talks about the incident in the Garden of Eden. And you know what I'm talking about, right? Adam and Eve 
hanging around a snake. All right, here we go. Here's what happens next. Donna, good to see you. Donna, please, hey, please jump in and read text 9A. God commanded man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For on the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. All right, so hold that thought. And Donna, please, if you'll read one more text 9B, I just put it up. It's also in your book page, whatever page that is. All right, take it away. By the sweat of your brow you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. And for you, we're taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. So this is where God's promise becomes fulfilled when Adam and Eve are eating from the, um, have eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So again, text 9a is God's warning of the human being not to eat from the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because that will lead to death. And indeed, after Adam and Eve eat from that tree, God says, all right, now you're going to have to work hard to eat bread until you return to the ground because you are dust and you will return to the dust, which means that indeed death is now visited upon humanity. This is something I mentioned in, in, in other contexts and other classes. I even, we even had a conversation about this recently in Secrets of the Bible, our previous JLI course, but it's something that we need to mention now and it's a very powerful concept. And that is, and that is, that death was not part of the original plan. Death is a glitch. Death is a glitch in the matrix. Originally, human beings were destined, were intended to live forever. That's why God says to Adam and Eve, if you do what you need to do, and you eat what you need to eat, and you avoid what you need to avoid, you will not have to worry about death. If you eat from the tree of knowledge, etc., then there's going to be death visited upon Humankind, and indeed, so it was. Again, death was not in the original code, in the original DNA of humanity. It was coded in as a consequence due to the sin of eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, what this tells us is that this is an aftermarket add-on or a glitch, some sort of deviation from the way it was supposed to be. And with any glitch, right, if you can identify the problem, you can identify the solution. And if you solve the problem, you can undo the glitch and get things back to the way they were. Which means that if we can understand how and why death was, was originally visited upon humanity. In other words, what actually happened with that tree in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve? What actually happened? What went wrong? Why did that lead to death? If we can understand that, and then we can understand the condition of death, then we can perhaps understand how we can undo that condition of death, which doesn't have to be. Death did not have to be. Death came to be. There's a difference. Something that has to be, has to be. Death didn't have to be. It came to be. If it came to be, it can be reversed. Indeed, Judaism believes and maintains that not only can death be reversed as a possibility, but rather Judaism believes 
that it's an inevitability, that it will be reversed and death will be undone at some point in our destiny. Death will be undone. Where do we see this? Let me share my screen with you once more. Text number 10 from Isaiah. It's really short. I'll just read it myself. God will eradicate death forever and wipe the tears off every face. This is from Isaiah chapter 25. God will eradicate death forever. Because remember, death is not an original condition. It's an aftermarket glitch. It's a glitch in the matrix and it can be undone. To understand how it can be undone, we need to understand how it got to be. What is the connection between eating the fruit of a tree and death? Makesha, what's the connection between these two seemingly completely different dynamics? So let me explain. In the beginning, in the beginning, body and soul were perfectly in sync. Body and soul were perfectly attuned to each other. The body moved in perfect harmony, in a perfect, think of your favorite on-screen flash mob, right? Remember people used to do that like a decade ago? Used to like spontaneously gather in the middle of a city and do a dance. Imagine a perfectly choreographed flash mob to that extent of choreography and even more was the movement of the body with the soul. The body was in perfect lockstep. Every move, every twist and turn was exactly in harmony, in concert, in perfection together with the soul. In other words, stated in different terms, there was no friction. There was no friction between, originally between body and soul, both within the human being and within the entire universe. Body and soul were perfectly in sync with each other. And then, and then, the sin happened. The tree of knowledge of good and evil happened. Adam and Eve said, you know what? God wants us not to eat it. Our soul, godly soul, wants us not to eat it, but our body wants to eat it. We want to eat it. It looks good. It smells good. We think it's going to taste good. We're going in. That's it. It's happening. And in that moment, not as a supernatural phenomenon, not as a, you know, as a larger-than-life reality, as a basic consequence, as a result of that choice and that action, a breach was created between body and soul. No longer are body and soul perfectly in sync with each other. They are now oftentimes at odds with each other. Even if not at odds, there's a little bit, little bit of friction there. The first moment friction appeared, the first crack in that armor, so to speak, the first crack in that perfect, that, that perfect smooth surface was the sin of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, eating that fruit that was forbidden. That was the body saying to the soul, essentially, I hear you. Thank you for sharing what you want. This is what I want, and it's different. You have your desire. I have my desire. We're not on the same page. That is the first time the body asserted 
its own independence and not just its own independence, but its difference, its distinction, its friction from the soul. This automatically leads to death. And maybe you're thinking, wow, that's harsh. It's not. It's not harsh at all. It's natural. Why do I say it's natural? Think about it. Where does life come from, the body or the soul? You know the answer. After six weeks, you know the answer, right? Who provides the energy and the, and the life for, the, for, for a human being? The body or the soul? Yeah? Behind door number one, the body, or behind door number two? Hold up uh, one for body or two for soul. What is giving life to a human being? Yeah, the soul. So listen to this. As long as the body is on board with the soul, as long as it perfectly channels the light, the energy, the vitality, the flow from the soul, as long as the body is perfectly open, then the life from the soul flows purely through the body. And as the soul lives forever, the body could also live forever. But the moment the body provides resistance, that equals mortality. The moment there's resistance in the connection, that connection is not going to be forever. Like the example that I think I've used throughout this series. Yeah, you have a charging cable to your phone that you've bent 90 degrees too many times because you were lying in bed using your device and the angle, I'm not, right, yeah, we've all been there, yeah, the angle of the thing, right? And then eventually it wears out because you don't have the super fancy 10,000 Ben ones that they advertise on Amazon. Don't ask how I know, right? That was five minutes I can't get back through that research, right? So that little, right? And, and once that connection starts going, when you plug it in and you're like, why isn't it charging? And then you realize, oh, I need to wiggle it. You know what that means? Start looking for a new cable, my friends, because that connection will not last. The moment there's resistance in the wire, the moment there's something blocking it or, or a breach in the connection, it may still work for another few days or a few weeks or a few months or even a year. But that thing, the clock is ticking. Mortality is visited upon human beings the moment the body said to the soul, thank you, I've got my own agenda. The moment the body resists the soul, it's not just resisting spirituality, higher purpose, it's resisting life itself. As a natural consequence, death, no pun intended, is born. Let me check in for a second. Does, does all this make sense? Yes? Yes? Okay. Adam, so death is not part of the original contract because the body is created to be in sync. But... The body, human beings are also given free choice. And if we choose, we can provide resistance. We can block the life of the soul. When that choice was made, human beings, the body and soul became a little bit out of alignment. And that creates the condition that we know as death and mortality. And that's not only a breach within human beings, but since, as it says in scripture, the world too was placed in the hands of humankind. The world is in our hands, essentially. This breach within the human being caused a breach in all of mankind. And thus, 
pain and challenge and mortality and all sorts of imperfection is the reality now because of that breach. But it all goes back to the breach. I said before, knowing the problem can help us recognize the solution. And knowing the solution can help us solve the problem and undo, un, uh, and undo what, the, what that problem causes. So knowing where death comes from, knowing why death comes from that space, right? knowing what exactly it means can help us understand what it means to undo that and to solve the problem of death. In simple terms, because that's so much easier to talk about, right? In simple terms, what that means is death is a result of the body not being on the same page as the soul. Solving death, solving immortality means, on a, in a, on a spiritual level, it means the body getting back in sync with the soul. It's very simple. The soul is life. If the body is, pu is a pure conduit to the soul, the body will likewise live eternally. The moment the body has its own agenda, has its own um, resistance, mortality. But when the soul, when the body is perfectly harmonized with the soul, as the soul lives eternally, the body can also live eternally. Let, let's, let's jump into some texts so that we see some of this in the sources. Um, let's take a look at text number 11. I'm going to pull up my screen. and Let's jump right in. This is coming from the works of Jewish mysticism. Um, Adina Malka, please read text number 11. Don't forget to unmute. Yeah, you got it. Um, the condition of death that was introduced to the world through the sin of the tree of knowledge was a natural consequence of the very sin itself. To explain, life is associated exclusively with holiness. Unholiness, on the other hand, is death. As a result of the sin of the tree of knowledge, unholiness, spiritual death, mingled with the human identity from which the condition of physical death is a natural, eventual consequence. Thank you. And essentially, this states in slightly different terms what I'm trying to share with you, what I, what I shared with you just a few moments ago. Right? Death is a natural consequence to the sin of the tree of knowledge. Why? Because life is connected with holiness, i.e. with the soul. Unholiness, turning away from that, equals death. It's a breach. So again, as long as the body was in concert and in harmony with the soul, nothing to worry about. No, there's no death. Death is not possible. The soul lives forever, and that which perfectly channels the soul will also live forever. But the moment the body says to the soul, thanks but no thanks, it's on its own. There's some, um, it, it impedes the flow of energy from the soul. Now the body gains mortality. It doesn't die right away. Notice Adam and Eve did not die immediately as soon as they ate from that tree of knowledge of good and evil. It didn't happen. Although God said on the day that you eat from it, you're going to die. What that means, according to the commentaries is, on the day that you eat from it, 
you will become mortal. Not that you will actually, not that your life will actually end, but that your life will begin to end. Again, I don't want to oversimplify it or, or, or make it, you know, uh, um, uh, too, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I, don't want, I don't want to be too irreverent here. But think about the example. For me, for me, this example resonates. That's why I'm sharing it again. The example of the cable that develops some sort of breach, right? It was a pure connection. You plugged it in. No matter how you turned it, it was working. And, and the, the electricity, the energy was flowing through it with no, with no, no impediments, no, no hesitation. The moment, there, the moment that crack appears, so to speak, the moment that, that separation, the glitch appears... It doesn't stop working right away, but that's where it's headed. It's, it's a one-way street down to, uh, to not working anymore. That's the way it works. And it's the same thing with the human being, same thing with Adam and Eve. God says to Adam and Eve, when you eat from that, if, you, if your body chooses to turn away from the soul, that breach constitutes death. Not immediate death, but that is the onset of what we call mortality. Knowing this, as I said a few moments ago, can help us understand its antidote. What is the antidote to death? Well, if death is the result of separation, the antidote of death or the antidote to death is connection. I'm going to say it one more time. If death is born of disconnection, then the antidote is connection. Plugging back in. If by unplugging, death is born, plugging back in solves the problem of death. So the more we refine our body, the more we get on board with the, our spiritual truth, with our spiritual north star, so to speak, the more we get on board with our higher purpose, the more in alignment we get with our soul the more alive we really are. And when human beings collectively get closer to that perfect ideal, we reach what the mystics refer to as essentially a tipping point where enough is done toward repairing the breach. Just like a tipping point, it doesn't have to get there all the way before you get to a tipping point, right? The, 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 when we get to that, to that tipping point and we go over that line, then everything rushes forth and that connection can be healed once and for all. I see in the chat somebody asked about what I said about this connection. I, I just used a different term for what I've been saying this, this last little bit. That is, death is visited upon Adam and Eve and upon humanity when, they, when their body disconnected from their purpose, from their soul. God said, don't eat from the tree. And they said, but we want to. That constitutes a disconnection, right? That's the body saying, I'm no longer on board with what you want. I've got my own agenda. So that's plugging out or unplugging from source and attaching to self, which constitutes a breach, a glitch, and, that, and, and death begins because the soul is life. Disconnecting from the source of life, even a little bit, ultimately leads to mortality. And so how do we solve that? If disconnection is the problem, then the resolution is, the opposite of disconnection is connection. 
So if, 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 if we get into the problem of death by disconnecting, right, then we solve it by connecting. And again, this is not an individual by individual experience, that if one individual is connected completely like a tzaddik, then they wouldn't die. It, it goes by the larger picture, right? It goes by a larger, it's not by every individual. Once, once mortality is visited upon human beings, now it's for everybody. What I'm suggesting, and it's not my suggestion, what I'm sharing with you that Judaism teaches is that collectively, we together can reverse the problem. Not one person reversing it for themselves, but collectively, collectively, we can collectively reverse it, reverse mortality. And that is not by everybody becoming perfect, because that's a very high bar, but at least a tipping point. Maimonides says, view the world as 50% good deeds, 50% the opposite. One more good deed tips the scales. Or the example that I like to use because I like this example, is when you take your kids to, um, I don't know, Stars and Strikes or any of these bowling alley slash um, laser tag slash arcade slash prize situation with the lights like little mini Vegases. You know what I'm talking about? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes, ish, okay. And they have that thing where you get tokens and you drop in the coin and there's a thing that moves back and forth with other coins. And if you time your coin and it hits the other coins and whatever, so one coin can knock over 50 coins and then it spits out six tickets upon which you can buy one of those little finger plastic things with a spider on it that you're not even sure what that does. Are you with me on this? Yes, nope. yes, nope. and the, no, you are, Ali Solish. You are totally on board with this. You know exactly what I'm talking about, my friend. And I, yes, you are, okay, we'll talk about this soon. Anyway, what's the point? The point is, yeah, the point is that one coin can knock down many coins. But you might ask, it's only one coin. That's what we call a tipping point. Mashiach, oh, I said that word. That's what we're talking about here, right? Mashiach. Fundamental Jewish belief, number 12 of the, of the 13 principles of faith. Number 12 is, I believe with perfect faith in the coming of Mashiach. Even though he will delay or, ta or tarry, nonetheless, I will wait for him, etc. Mashiach, what is Mashiach? It's a state of being. It's a state of reality. It's the reality that we've just been discussing where in the breach the glitch, whatever you want to call it, is healed and solved. And does that mean that everyone has to be perfect like it was with Adam and Eve before they sinned? That everyone has to be a perfect tzaddik, perfectly on board with their soul and no, no ego and no self, uh, you know, no ulterior motives, not only soul? I've been trying to emphasize this about tipping points, right? When there's enough of a groundswell toward Purpose, higher purpose, meaning, spirituality, soul, etc., which I think the world is making decent pro progress. Yeah, I know there's other stuff out there, sure, but a lot of that negative stuff is called out today, right? What in the past would be taken for granted today, it's called out because what is not okay comes to the surface because the, 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 there is a propensity, there is a, a majority of good, in my opinion, but when it reaches, that was all parenthetical, but when the, 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 the reconnection reaches enough of a tipping point that moves everything back into that 
pre-sin status, and once again, eternal life can resume. All of this, I hope that makes sense, but I, I have to move on to one more point, so I don't want to pause right now. All of this helps explain one of the most seemingly bizarre Jewish beliefs. Seemingly bizarre Jewish beliefs. And what is that? Oh, that happens to be principle number 13 of the 13 principles of faith. And that is the belief in the resurrection of the dead. No, our mother. The belief in the resurrection of the dead. What does that mean? That means that it's a fundamental Jewish belief that those who have lived and have passed away, their souls will come back into their bodies. Now, this can raise a whole host of questions, including the, which body, if there's reincarnation, that was already answered last week, because it's different souls and different bodies, which we explained last week. Hopefully that makes sense, what I just said. What age do I get to choose? Right? What age do I come back, etc.? Where are we all going to live? Thank God for high-rises and office spaces that aren't being used anyway because of COVID, etc. So with lots of questions, certainly, which I'm not going to answer now. But one thing I want to address is the seemingly very bizarre or interesting nature of this, of this idea. And you should know it's not a fringe belief. It's not a fringe idea. This is mainstream Judaism. In fact, Maimonides says that it's so mainstream that if, that for not, that if, if we don't believe in it, then it means that it's not Judaism without it. Take a look at text 12. I'm going to read this. The resurrection of the dead is a foundation, a foundation of the Torah of Moses. One cannot maintain a connection to the Jewish religion and the Jewish nation without this belief. And that means that it is so important, it is so core to Judaism that it's, you cannot separate out Judaism and Torah and Moses from resurrection of the dead. And my question is, what does it mean? What is it about? Why is it so important? And, and, and how does it connect with what we're talking about? And it connects so perfectly. And we can certainly understand now, hopefully after this whole discussion about why, as to why it's so important. What this tells us, what principle number 13 tells us, the resurrection of the dead, is that the healing of the, of the gap of the breach between body and soul will extend not just to those currently living, that those who are currently living, when that tipping point is reached, that their souls and bodies will be in perfect harmony and they will experience eternal life, but that the ripple effect of such will be that all matter will be in perfect harmony with all spirit. Like I told you, the original well, not that original sin, but Adam and Eve's sin, right? That original time brought about a breach in the overall connection between spirit and matter. So too, the healing of such through that tipping point of the reconnection will bring about the fusion of not just body and soul, but all bodies and all souls, all spirit and all matter. Also to those who have previously lived to the point that their souls can and will connect and enliven their bodies that they once inhabited because no longer will there be a breach. Death is a temporary condition in the Jewish understanding, and I cannot say that enough times. Death is a temporary condition. You see, we tend to look at things with a very limited view. And we look at lifespan, you know, 120 years, please God, and then the body's no longer. And that's how it is. But God's eternal, and Torah is eternal, and Torah says, Judaism teaches us, 
that from the larger view, you think life is temporary, death is temporary. Because the end game, when matter and spirit are once again fused in perfect harmony, which will happen, which is happening, but when that tipping point is reached, that means that matter itself will be one with spirit. There will not be a dissonance between matter and spirit. There will be perfect harmony. All those who are living will live eternally. All those who have lived, their souls will once again find that alignment in their bodies. And that is going to be the hallmark of this perfected or connected, better than perfected, connected reality. All of this tells us something so very important about our discussion tonight. Yes, as we said at the first half of tonight's class, there is value in recognizing our mortality. It helps us stay focused on priorities and it helps us maximize our time, realizing the preciousness of every moment. Yet, at the very same time that there are benefits to mortality, Judaism teaches us that death is not our ultimate destiny. We believe that there will come a time when the breach born all the way back in the Garden of Eden so long ago will finally be healed. The glitch will be healed. And then body and soul, matter and spirit will exist in perfect, perfect seamless, eternal harmony. Which brings us to the end. Not just of this lesson, but indeed to this entire course. And I'd like to point out the significance of what we learned today. Throughout this course, we learned many ideas related to death. We talked about the eternality of the soul. We spoke of the spiritual places that the soul goes. But after all is said and done, and you may have felt this throughout the series, after all is said and done, none of it, none of the philosophies about the soul and about eternality, none of it makes the pain, the sorrow, the emptiness, the grief of loss go away. Death remains the greatest source of sorrow in our lives. And death is too big for answers, answers or explanations. The only true consolation is possible with the knowledge of what we spoke about just now tonight. The knowledge that death is but a temporary condition a glitch in the matrix that one day, please God, very soon will be healed once and for all. The knowledge that one day, when Mashiach comes again, please God, very soon, we will be reunited with our loved ones, not just in soul, not just in soul, but in body as well. And this is the deeper meaning, maybe the deepest meaning, of the customary Jewish consolation message that we share with those who have recently lost a loved one, as explained very powerfully by the Rebbe. Let me share this final text with you, the final text of our series. This is text number 13. The Rebbe writes in a letter of consolation, a kernel of consolation is captured in the traditional hallowed statement of consolation that has been used to comfort mourners by tens of generations of our nation's communities that follow the Jewish tradition. And what is that line? May the omnipresent console you among the other mourners of Zion and Jerusalem. At first glance, the association of these two concepts 
Jerusalem's destruction and a personal loss is perplexing. The reality, however, is that we have perfect confidence that God will rebuild the ruins of Zion and Jerusalem. We have confidence that he will gather the dispersed remnants of Israel from the ends of the earth through our righteous Mashiach, and he will bring them gladness to witness the joy of Zion and Jerusalem. And we are equally confident that the same is true with regard to our personal bereavement. God will fulfill his promise. As we said before from Isaiah, that those that dwell in the dust shall awake. Sorry, that was a different, this is a different verse. His promise that those that dwell in the dust shall awake and joyfully sing. Great indeed will be the happiness and rejoicing then when all will meet together after the resurrection of the dead. Essentially, the Rebbe is explaining that when we express our message of consolation, that a person be comforted and consoled amongst the other Muslim Zion and Jerusalem, the message is, just like we believe that Zion and Jerusalem will be physically rebuilt, we likewise believe that the soul of, 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 of the loved one will come back in a rebuilt body, in physical form. And one might ask, what's the benefit? The soul is so pure and spiritual and beautiful, but there's still a loss. As long as the body is absent, at the end of the day, after all the explanations, a missing body is a hole in our hearts. Judaism believes the ultimate destiny of humankind, the ultimate destiny of everything is Mashiach. And what's Mashiach? Not just the rebuilding of Zion and Jerusalem, but a rebuilding of the physical body. A time when no longer does the, mat does the material represent a breach from the spiritual. A time when, on the contrary, matter and spirit exist in perfect harmony. And the greatest expression of that is when the soul comes back in a body and lives eternally. Not just those that are privileged to live at that time, but those who have lived and whose souls have left their bodies will experience that connection, that purity of body once again in that ultimate time. And so, my friends, let me leave you with the following blessing and wish. May each of us do our part to heal the world, to heal our own inner worlds, to heal the, large, to heal the larger world, the micro and the macrocosm, to reduce the dissonance, the friction, the disconnection, and to fuse body and soul, matter and spirit, and when we do that, when we heal our inner worlds and the world around us, we know that we will soon experience the time when our loved ones will return once again, and indeed God will wipe the tears from all of our faces. And let us say, Amen. Thank you very much for joining me for this course. I hope that you enjoyed this experience. I hope that you found it meaningful. And... I only wish that all of us experience joy in our lives and the end of sorrow and, of course, the ultimate joy, which is what we're talking about tonight. I need to mention the following. You know, there's a, a statement that's brought down in Jewish sources that learning never ends, which means that even though we just concluded a course of Jewish study, there's, there's no end to learning, and learning indeed continues. I have to share with you that our next JLI, Jewish Learning Institute, six-week course, in other words, the same style of what we just did over the last six weeks, 
Tuesday evenings, Thursday afternoons. We have a new course that's coming up next month at the, toward the end of April. Tuesday, April 20th, Thursday, April 22nd, it launches. The course is called, literally you cannot make this up. The course is called, This Can Happen. And the course is all about what we just spoke about. The idea of a better future for all of us, for all of humanity. The promise of a world that's healed. What that means, what it looks like, and how we can make it happen. This course is phenomenal, and I know this also because I authored lesson four of this course, of the upcoming course for the Jewish Learning Institute. And so I want to warmly, cordially invite you to join me for our next journey, our jour the journey into the future. We spoke about it a little bit tonight in the context of life, death, mortality, and immortality. Join me on a six-week exploration of the Jewish belief in the promise of a better world for everyone. Please join me this spring, April 20th and 22nd. That's when it launches for a six-week series called This Can Happen. It's live on our website. It's intownjewishacademy.org slash utopia. That's what I picked for the, for the link, slash utopia. Because of our connection and our journey together, if you want to sign up, I'm throwing you a deal. Not that you need a deal, but who doesn't like a deal, right? Everyone likes a deal, right? Just put in the discount, put in the code journey. Get it? Journey of the soul we just finished, right? Journey. Take $10 off the registration of the course. So please sign up. Join me. Look, I, I feel like I was debating whether or not to even set it up and to mention it. Look, at the end of the day, we got to get the body on board, even though the soul is certainly on board, right? We talked about kind of fusing together the, um, the interests of both body and soul. So in the interest of also enticing and wetting the appetite of the soul, so we're making it easier for the body as well. Please join me. Please, um, if you can help sponsor the course, it would be, I would be grateful for that. If you can attend the course, I'd be very grateful to, to continue studying with you. Share the information with others. Again, intownjewishacademy.org slash utopia. This is going to be a wild ride into a better world. In a world that so often looks like doom and gloom and like where's this headed, you know, runaway car, no brakes, edge of a cliff, right? That's how it seems to be. Judaism has a radically different take on life, on destiny, on the future, on the nature of you and I. Again, we touched the surface tonight. Join me for a nine-hour, that's six weeks of one-and-a-half-hour sessions, just doing the math, right? I'm showing, I'm showing my work here. Um, carry the three, right? So join me for six weeks, nine hours of exploring a new perspective on reality. This will blow you away. We're going to combine positive psychology, science. I mean, I can't even tell you what we're going to cover. We're going to cover history. I mean, I'll tell you, my, the class that I authored will go through the entirety of Jewish history and seek to demonstrate. Very ambitious. Um, um, when I say I authored it, what I mean is this course is being taught in 500 locations around the world. Yes, right? JLI, 
500, tens of thousands of students taking it around the world. So it's not just I'm teaching it, but I, I wrote one of the lessons. The lesson that I wrote is all about tracing the arc of history and Jewish history specifically and seeing how even the, 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 the seeming um, uh, um, that, uh, um, steps down or uh, failings and, and steps backward are really a step forward along the, the forward progress of history. I can't tell you more. You have to join. Again, six weeks beginning in April. This can happen. This can happen with you. Just join me for that. One more announcement that I need to make. One more announcement, and then I'm going to open it up, and I'm here for as long as, as you want to discuss the, you know, tonight or that, that other course. I'm here to answer and, and, and to schmooze. But one thing that I must mention, and that is on Sunday, March 14th, we have the incredible opportunity to hear the living testimony of a Holocaust survivor. Her name is Marion Blumenthal Lazan. She is the mother of our beloved David Lazan, who joins us for, uh, for class. David is right here with us. David, I see, I see your box, at least, um, here tonight. So, David, I know that you're here, and David's mom is going to speak for us in just under two weeks. This is going to be an absolutely astounding evening. She will tell her story of survival her story of bravery, her story of courage, faith, fortitude, and strength. The event is called Faith and Fortitude. You don't want to miss this. This is going to be, all of us will be able to be witnesses as she bears witness to her story of survival. More than ever, it's important that we hear the stories and that we know the stories and that we carry the message forward for all time. So please join me. It's called Faith and fortitude, the short version of the link is intownjewishacademy.org slash faith. All right. Um, and just to show you what it looks like, um, I feel like I should pull this up. But you know what? I can't. Oh, here it is. All right. Share my screen and you can see the, um, the image of the session. Faith and fortitude. Um, the date is missing. All right, you have to take my word for it. Sunday, May, uh, March 14th in the evening. All right, so join us for that. It will be on Zoom. And please share the information with others as well. All right, I think that's it for me. There are definitely more things that are coming up and more opportunities to continue studying together. But that's, for right now, all that I will share. All right, so please feel free to unmute yourself. Oh, and once again, thank you for joining me. I can't wait to continue our studies together. Um, Wishing all of us happiness and blessings and, um, and, 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 and only good things. All right. Thank you. Um, all right. Let's jump in. Yes. Sylvia, Thank go. You. Pleasure. Pleasure, Donna. Sylvia. It's been wonderful. I want to thank you. Thank you. Would it be difficult if you sent us a link on the next course so we could just click on and sign it? Sure. Onto it? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact... What I could probably do is um, I could even drop one into the chat right now. But I know I know you probably mean like send an email. I will send out an email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always send the email, the recap email. Okay. I I will include a link to. Yes, so we can sign up. Yeah. Yes, yes. And and Mi Mindy's asking about faith and uh, faith and fortitude. Yes, it is by RSVP, and there is uh, there's a very nominal uh, uh, charge to join. 
But yeah, that, that's a that's a registration um, event. What time is that? It's gonna be, I believe, it's seven p.m. I want to say. Um, hold on, I believe it's seven p.m. Give me a moment. Um, hold on. IntownJewishAcademy.org, and we go to the webpage, Faith and Fortitude, 7 p.m., yeah, it's 7 p.m. I was correct. Okay, um, yeah. Yeah, and I will, I will send the link, and I'll send, I'll send the copy of the code as well. Sure. Thank you. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. All right, questions, comments? I mean, it could be that we answered all the questions, you know, throughout these yeah, six yeah. weeks. It's possible. Richard, Richard go ahead. No problem. Yeah, just, want to say that. just a comment that um, this, to me, uh, was more than a class. It was really a public service announcement because uh, there's such a uh, paucity of, if that's the right word, of this information, Judaism, which I think we spoke about a couple of weeks as a crime. Uh, I have a long history of asking rabbis about this, and the answers are... They're, they're, they're bad. That's the nice answer. The answers are, are, are pretty bad. And this is a comfort, I think, to Susan and I. And I think this should be taught to 20-year-olds. I agree. I mean, you don't have to be 74, whatever I am, to do this. You know, you right. should learn this early on. And uh, it, it brings and it's something that stays with you. You know, it's, it's, it's a great, it's really to the Jewish community. This is a, you record, can, can people get this on the recording? Can people go to this and record it? If they know the right people. Yeah, yeah, they can. Ah. They can. Okay, uh, um, Richard, I agree with you. I, I mean, you probably know this by now. My personal, like literally, my mission, I feel like my mission in life is to share Jewish teachings with everybody and anybody who will, who's, open to, who's open to learning and listening. And I'm, I'm with you. I think this needs to be taught at a, at a younger age. I mean, it's not. It's 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 just taught as a, at a, at an always age, right? I mean, this is whenever, wherever, and the sooner the better. Yeah. But honestly, a lot of these topics, a lot of these topics require a bit of mature, a bit of maturity, and so you can't teach these to, to little kids. It's just not. It's not the right time. And and, and you know you're different, Riva. Come on, give me a hug. Riva's like me. Why are you, you listening? Know, in Israel. Yeah. I never stood. On the light rail, on the as crazy as it is there, there is respect for aging. Right. You get up, I mean, always. And if someone didn't get up, then an older person would give that kid a nudge to get up. Right, right. I think like this. I think that, you know, when we're younger and we study Torah, it's done in a, in a very simplistic way. It's like Adam and Eve and Noah's Ark. It's very, very basic. And the challenge with that is that it's, um, you know, you, you lose a little bit of the depth. Now, it's not possible until you get older, but by that time, sometimes people are busy. So I think that it requires a lot of intentionality to figure out how to bring this, you know, these ideas to, to, you know, to encourage people to, to explore and to really... I, I agree. Listen, you know, we're on the same page here. These are some of the most brilliant and comforting and resonating ideas that, 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 we, that we could know and hear, and, it's, and I think it's, it's very valuable. I also, to, to your other point, the reality is that if you followed along, as you all did, with the text that we presented over these last six weeks, you saw the incredible range of Jewish scholarship. Like literally, the range of scholarship eras and 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 texts 
ran the gamut from the most simple to the most mystical. And the truth is that not everyone, even a rabbi, not every rabbi has that scope of knowledge on every topic. What's great about JLI courses is they have experts on the field writing about the topics, right? Mm -hmm. so, so, and they have a team of scholars that write on topics. So you're getting a very comprehensive view on topics that you might not get if you ask any individual um, on it. And the courses are done extremely well, and it's, it's you know, and, and having, you know, been on the inside, behind the scenes on that as well, I can attest to just the, just incredible attention to detail and accuracy and, and research and scholarship that goes into producing every single page, every single text, every single citation in every single lesson, um, let alone, we didn't even mention the additional readings and, and all of the other stuff that's in your textbooks. I mean, it's just incredible wealth of, of information. So, you know, any individual would be, for, even a rabbi would be forgiven and not, you know, necessarily having that range of, of, of ideas, but it's important that we know it, that we learn it, and that we put it out there. I think, um, focus on the positive, it's very important that I think it's, What I was, what I was yeah. in fact saying was uh, some of the things I've, I've heard were very, uh, I've said this to Susan, uh, some of the things I've heard about death from rabbis is that Edgar Allan Poe has nothing with these rabbis. It's, it's right. morbid. Leak. It's, it's, it's horrible. It's, it's I, leak. I hear it's you. Leak. I hear you. It's horrible. It's horrible. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. look. It's not that they have knowledge. It's just the way they presented it was. I hear you. No, I hear you. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I hear you. I hear what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Sylvia. Yeah. Sylvia, go ahead. Yeah. I think it's tough when we said uh, younger people should hear this. I don't think they're ready for it when they're younger. I think they know everything and they weigh religion with science and and. It, it, they're not ready for it, and I think you've got to be ready. You can introduce it to them, mention it to them, but they'll either laugh at you or, you know, yeah, that's for you, not to me. I, I don't know. I, 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 agree, I agree that it depends on the person, and, and some are not ready. And you're right, you can't, you, these things can't be forced. And honestly, in the context of tonight's class, another benefit as we get older and as mortality becomes more of a reality, we get a little bit more serious about thinking about deeper issues, and that becomes something that we focus on. And I, I think that's along the lines of the gifts of, of aging that we spoke about tonight. I think it's very, uh, very, very true. Although, there, there, you know, there are exceptions to every rule as well. And there are some, you know, there are some that are, that are more open to it. Doreen, I see you, you, were you, you had yeah, something before. I, I agree. I think it is more for my generation, because that's where we are. And I know what I hear. Um, there's a, an anger, fear. I, I happen, in my lifetime, I would just several people as they were dying and one just she you know before she lost it she said it's been a good run and floated away mm. and i was with someone else who fought to the very end in anger and um i i'm not exactly sure where i'm holding with all this i think i think i and yet it's a comfort yeah you know and what it tells me is i need to live yeah. Ultim ultimately, that's, that's the message. Ultimately, that's the message. Right. I went out of here. I got my shots. Let me out. Right. Right. You know, I, want, I want to say that I, I understand what's being said. Um, I just want to repeat my, my, my view on this, that, it, that they may not get it all, but they'll know that the information is at least available to them. Right. And I don't if, you know, when my brother died when I was 21, I would have loved 
to have heard this. Right. Yeah, and, and I, I, it really depends on the person or situation, but I don't think it's exclusively just for uh, us. So. I, I agree. I, I think, so what, what I hear truth in all of the above, right? I hear truth in making it accessible and available and it can benefit old, older and younger. I see the truth in a wisdom that's born of, of experience and a sense of mortality. I see, I, I, think, I think it's all true. I think it's all true and it's all powerful. And, um, and, and the more we can make it accessible, I think, I think the better off we are. I'm looking at the chat. Um, oh, um, the soul, yeah, the soul with, with resurrection of the dead will go back into the original body. So we spoke last week about reincarnation, which is a different thing. Resurrection will be back in the original body. Oh, in what condition will the body be, young or old? At what age? Yeah, right. Um, do we get to choose? <laughs> Who chooses? <laughs> do we turn the dial or is it random? I, you know, I remember asking the question. I remember looking into it. I think I remember finding some sort of perspective on it, but I can't recall it right now. And I apologize because that's like it's now it's a question and everyone's thinking about it. And I hate to leave you hanging with this. Um, but I can't right now, it's not fresh in my brain, I can't recall in the moment the answer or the perspective on that, um, what age will we come back with the resurrection of the dead? I guess we'll find out. I guess we'll find out. Um, anyway, yeah. All right, it's, it's been great to see everybody. Don, oh yeah, yeah, sure. You have a question? Janet? Oh, Janet. Yeah. Unmute her. I think she needs you to unmute her. Uh, she is. She's good. I was just thinking that I think from what I've seen, it takes courage to live, and it also takes courage to die. I would agree. With or without it, it's going to happen. That's also true. I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Very powerful. Yeah. All right. Donna, Doreen, Ray, Adina Malka, Mom, Mindy, and kids. Hey, guys. Hey. Richard, are you going to share this with your son? Please, God, right? Mark, uh, Rose, and Mike, Sylvia, Alona, Richard, and Susan, Janet, Toba, Moshe, Stan, Steve, Judith, David, Steve, and Steve's mom, Jody, and Josh, Joy, and Lisa, thank you all for joining and all those that had to jump off earlier. Thank you for being here. I look forward to continuing studying together. Lila Tov, have a wonderful week of blessings. And as we're within 30 days, have a wonderful Passover, but I'm sure we'll see you before then. Don't forget, we have the, the event um, uh, with Mrs. Lazanne coming up, Faith and Fortitude, as well as the new course coming up. I'll send out an email with the links. Looking forward to seeing you. Take care. Have a good night. Okay. See everybody. Thank you all. Take care, everybody. Can I do a spit of this altar? Yeah?